Hi, and welcome to the Trailside Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by and enjoy the message. I'm going to pray and uh, we'll get started. Father, thank you so much that you're good and that even when technical stuff goes crazy, you're still in control. Lord, I just ask ask that you come and meet us where we are right now, uh, that you'd meet our hearts for this city, that our lives would be changed by the gospel, that we would uh, walk into this next season of life this summer, um, not scared of summer, but ready to attack it. Um, God, ready to walk in uh, to where people are hurting, ready to um, give of ourselves in moments where people have need, and uh, Lord, that you would just honor that heart that we have, that it would come straight from you, uh, from nowhere else, and that we would trust you in the midst of it. Uh, we love you, we thank you, for you are exactly who you say you are, and it's in your name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. So, I feel like it's a little loud, maybe, can you cut me down a little bit? Um, so this morning, <coughs> excuse me, this morning I want to ask a question as we dive into a new series. Uh, it's a simple question, but I think the answer actually probably changes a lot of things for us. And it's this, who is Jesus? In your consideration, who is Jesus? Like, let's take out Christianity, or I'm sorry, the Christian culture, let's take out living in the South where everyone's a believer of some sort, let's take out anything that you've seen prescribed to Jesus over the last however many decades of your life, and I ask you cleanly, who is Jesus? What do you actually believe about him? See, how we believe in Jesus, what we believe he is and who, he's, who he is and what he's done it shows in every capacity in our life. Every place, every stage, the way that we drive, the way that we treat people, the way that we love our spouses, or the way that we even consider getting ready to date, if that's where you are in life, or the way that we treat those around us, the way we seek community, the way we give, all of those things come from the basis of who we believe Jesus to be. And so the next Seven weeks or eight weeks, I think, we're doing this series called Jesus, God of the Impossible. We're going to talk about, out of the Gospel of John, who Jesus is. The the genuine going into the Word and saying outside of everything else, outside of what our culture says or outside of the way we live or how we've seen church done, who is Jesus? What what does Jesus say about Himself? By His actions, by His prayers, by, by the way He treats people, by the way He meets people. In their darkness. <coughs> Pardon me, excuse me. Because again, who we believe God to be, who we actually state Jesus is, changes everything for us. It has to. And so today, as we intro this series, my question to you is do you believe that Jesus actually is who he says he is? That he can actually be capable of doing the impossible? Do you trust that? Because in order to believe that that Jesus can do impossible things in our lives, we have to first believe He's capable. A a neutered Jesus does no good. If Jesus is moderately powerful, if His grace is moderately sufficient, then He's not really God. If He's almost good enough, then, then He's not really sufficient to be who He says He is. And if He's not sufficient to be who He says He is, then you shouldn't follow Him. 
then I shouldn't follow him. Then we shouldn't have church. Then we shouldn't serve. We shouldn't give. We should do nothing. If anything, we can keep the children's ministry and we can all go pass our kids off and go have a great breakfast together and enjoy the sun. If, if he's not capable. If he's not God. And if we're not wasting our time. So here's what I want to do this morning as we introduce this series. I, I want to set the table for the summer. <coughs> Excuse me. We want to set the table for what you're going to experience, for what we're going to be a part of, because May was this weird month for us, right? We got in the new building. We had Easter. Things slowed down. School is ending, so everyone is just, you know, dying. Are any other parents out there that had to do something every single day for the last three weeks for school? Like, Colin had, like, color day, superhero day, hat day, hobby day. It's unbelievable. I think we're going to start doing that at church. We'll charge you a dollar to wear a hat, make millions. But we had kind of a weird month because we have all this stuff that we're getting ready to accomplish and start doing and start really serving and getting out there. Because what we said for a long time while we were at the school was, hey, when we have a building, when we have a place, we can do so much more. And we had this vision and this goal of what we want to do. And so what I want to do today is set the table for that so that you can understand where we're going and why we're going there and hopefully become be a part of it. So I want to read about who Jesus said he was or who John says he was, uh, and probably one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. I know I say that every few weeks, but I just like famous verses, I guess. John 1.1. 1, 1. Now, it's not a long verse, but it has so much theology that we really could, could hang out in this verse for all summer and never get done with it. But what I want to try to do is utilize that to build the foundation of where we're going this morning. So, if you will, stay with me on that. But I want to read John 1, 1 through um, 3 this morning for you. <clears throat> this is what it says. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. A little confusing, I know. And in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. So here's the first thing I want us to understand as we walk through this series, that who Jesus is matters. Jesus' identity matters. Because he, he is, if He is who He says He is, if He is the God of the impossible, then that statement right there changes everything. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Now there's one other place that we read in the beginning. Anyone know where that is? <clears throat> Genesis. Right away. The start. One of the, another famous verse, when God created the heavens and the earth. John uses that word, that verbiage for a reason because what it does is it draws the parallel of Jesus who was always in the beginning and Jesus who was at creation. He's actually from the very first words of this gospel that we're going to study saying you need to understand the identity of who Jesus is and what he says about himself. It's a purposeful, direct quote of Genesis 1. And, and here's what that does. It, it assumes this timeless eternity, right? Because we, we operate in time, right? Start and finish, birth, death, the beginning and the end of a show or series. And then we complain that wasn't really good because it probably wasn't. And, and we, we assume this, like, this eternity, but it still has this bound of time that we operate in because we're human and that's how it always works. 
Everything is about years or months or days or weeks. And if I can just get through this week or I hope this will be a better year. Everyone is thankful for December 31st, right? Because I've only heard a few people ever be like, that was the greatest year of my life. It's never going to get better. Typically, it's like January 1st is here. I'm ready for the old man to die so the new baby can come. And you see everybody going, 2020 is going to be my year. You're like, it's probably going to be the same. You just want it to be your year, and that's okay. It can get better. You know, you don't want to be the downer who's like, well, there's going to be some days that are kind of tough. But everybody's, everybody has this, uh, this understanding of time and how it works when we say there's a beginning and there's an end. But what John does here in establishing who Jesus is before he tells the stories of what Jesus has done, he says that here is a timeless eternity that at this moment of beginning that we operate in, that in the beginning when that day was, Jesus already was. That's a weird and kind of hard thing for us to understand. It's like in this moment when all was created, Jesus already was. He's, he transcends time. And he calls him, he says the word, and there's a capital W, and the, the Greek is logos. It's L-O-G-O-S. Right? My son saw me write it earlier in the week, and he thought I was talking about Legos, so he was pumped. Told him he could listen to it online later. But the, the logos is, is, the, is the word, is this living, breathing, beginning, and always was. What he does, what John does with this word when he calls him that, is he says that he's already always been in existence. And now, this is why that's so important. Yesterday, I went downtown, because, you know, you can do that. There's cars and stuff and roads to get you there. So I took that freedom. And we went and saw... Um, a uh, Broadway show called Hello, Dolly, which was awesome, I think, but hanging out with some dear friends, and um, I, I was walking to the Peace Center, and I saw what you've probably seen, there's three women carrying this, like, pulling this, like, suitcase-ish thing, and I looked on the back, and it was a huge Jehovah's Witness, jw.org, and it said, do you know the true Jesus? And I thought, well, that's really interesting. And because we were on the way to a show, and my wife um, didn't want me to embarrass her, I didn't say anything to them. But, but this is the key. The fact that Jesus is the Logos here actually is important because when you, we meet people who are Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and these different belief systems that aren't actually Jesus, this verse separates the God of the Bible and the God of human divinity. For instance... Jehovah's Witnesses actually believe this about Jesus, that he was created by Jehovah, the Father, but he was created as Michael the archangel. And that, that he was born on earth not as God at all, but as a man who then did really good things and God kind of did this and pushed him together and raised him to deity, raised him to Godhood. But, but that's not the Jesus that we just read about. That, that, that separates, that's a totally different idea here. Or maybe you've met some of the wonderfully nice, kind, 18 to 22 year old guys with white button downs and a, yeah, right there, riding their bikes. Let me tell you, they will, they will love you and serve you. If you need a garden dug, you can bring them along and they'll hang out. They're great guys. Had a lot of opportunity. But, but here's what they actually say Jesus is, that he is the result of a physical relationship of God the Father and and a mortal woman, an exalted mother. 
And that, like, a physical, carnal connection happened, and that's how God was born. They also believe he's the half-brother of Satan. A created being. But when we read this first chapter, this first verse of the book of John, as we get into the series for the whole summer, the, the main statement here is that God is not created, that Jesus always was, that in the beginning, he already existed. And if he already existed, then that changes things. And we can say with authority that this idea of, of a man-made God instead of a God who came down as man is not Jesus at all. And, and if that's who we believe Jesus is, then my question is, like, can, can that Jesus really do anything? Is he really all-powerful? Can he really do the impossible? That neuters this idea of who Jesus is. It changes the concept. I don't want to worship and follow and trust a God who was a man who was appointed at some point in time who I've got to do everything I can in hopes that He'll love me enough. That, that's, that's, not, that's not Scripture. That's not Jesus. And if we're not worshiping and honoring that Jesus, then my question to you is, what are we doing? But here's what Jesus says about Him. He actually says in response to His disciples, He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And the word he uses there is actually ego, I mean. It's I am. Here's why that's significant, because when we talk about who Jesus is, when he says those words exactly, that's actually a quote of the Father speaking to Moses at the burning bush. So again, Jesus does not allow himself to be something that's created or pointed at. Jesus, who was before all time, already existing, said the same thing, the same quote about himself that God said to the burning bush when Moses says, who are you? And God says, I am who I am. And then Moses said, who, who should I tell the Pharaoh sent me? And God says, tell him I am. Tell him ego I me. And this is Jesus' response to who he is. He says, I am. It's, it's a reminder to us and a reminder to the people of this historical deliverance of who God is. Jesus is saying, I am equal with the God, the Father who you know who brought your people out of Egypt through the Red Sea, which is what our kids learned about last week. I am, I am the God who, as Hezekiah was waiting for his imminent death, sent an angel of the Lord to wipe out 122,000 warriors. 144,000, excuse me. I'm the God who's delivered you out of Egypt. I'm the God who's delivered you out of Babylon. I'm the God who says He cares for you, will not leave you, will not forsake you. Who says He is in, holding you in His hand. That is who Jesus in the first chapter of John says He is. He says, I am. And before Abraham was, I am. Ego, I me. See, it's this reminder of this historical deliverance of the people of the Old Testament. And so Jesus affirms this identity, this, this equality but separateness from the Father by calling Himself the same name as God the Father says in, Mo, in Exodus 3.13. I am who I am. 
And see, church, this is what we need to remember is that when Jesus says that, and he says that to the people of the New Testament, and he attributes the Old Testament deliverance, that he also attributes that to us. And so when we're in a situation where things seem uh, worrisome or hard or impossible even, that is the God who says, do not forget that I am who I am. That is the God who offers deliverance. It's not the God of rules and moral obligation and making sure you look very pretty in front of people or that you have on your Sunday best and you sing the loudest or clap the best and that the pastor is excited and you read the most scripture. No, it's, it's to say, I am the same God who has delivered you countless, countless times. The God who brought you here. I am who I am. There's a... Um, a beautiful statement in this book called Mere Christianity. I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis. If you guys don't read C.S. Lewis, I encourage you. Um, just an incredible thought. And he wrote many books that have changed my life. But he, he offered something called the trilemma. right? And, and the idea of who is God really? Because if you ask people, you'll hear a thousand different, op- a thousand different answers, right? Some will say, oh, well, he's a really good teacher. Some will say, well, he was a false prophet. Right? Or that he wasn't real at all. That historically he didn't exist, which, sorry to tell you, he did, and it's very proven, but you get a thousand different statements, a thousand different theologies. But C.S. Lewis came up with this idea called the trilemma that says Jesus only offers himself to be one of three things. A liar, a lunatic, or Lord. That's it. There is no anything else. Some people would say, well, he could be a historical fraud or a legend, but Actually, that doesn't work because we've proven extra-biblically that a man named Jesus who led a large revolt against Rome did exist. It's in the Roman history by Josephus and many others. But he, he says this, and I want to read this to you because it's so, been so impactful in my life and considering those moments where I've forgotten who Jesus says he is and I don't trust who Jesus says he is. This is what C.S. Lewis, who's so stinking smart, he said this. I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. is I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him to be God. Well, that is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic, I love this, on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else would be the devil of hell. And you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he is a madman or even something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. That gives me chills. See, here's the problem with our own interpretation of Jesus when we say who we want Him to be instead of who He is, is that He doesn't offer us that opportunity. He is either a lunatic making crazy, unbelievable remarks like I am who I am and attributing Himself with the Father. He's a liar and pulled off the greatest deception in the history of time to a point where all of His friends who walked with Him were murdered for it, most of them. 
to where one of them hung upside down because he said he wasn't worthy to die the same way Jesus did. That's quite a lie. Or, he's Lord. And he is exactly who he says he is. See, Jesus simply does not allow us to have any other identity. You can choose to believe that he is something he's not, but that doesn't change what he is. He does not allow any other identity to be formed. Either He is the God of the impossible, or He is impossible to be God. There's no in-between. You, you can't make anything else move in there. There's no friction. It is A or B. And there's nothing in between. And so if we believe that as we walk through these next few weeks and say that He truly is the God of the impossible, then we should be willing to offer things that seem impossible to Him and watch Him work within it. Or else, we should just have breakfast. In fact, Matthew 16, 15, Jesus offers that exact same question to Peter. And He says, who do people say I am? Peter responds like, well, you know, some say you're Elijah the prophet, some say you're this, some say you're that. And Jesus stops all the nonsense with Peter and goes, yes, but who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? He's not interested in the people. He's interested in who you say Jesus is. See, Jesus is interested in what you say He is. Not in hearsay. Not in what people might throw out. He says, who do you understand me to be? And Peter responds, he says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus answers, only Spirit could have led you there. And then he says, on this rock I will build my church. See, Jesus does not offer the opportunity to be anything less than Lord. Number two, what we glean from this is that Jesus' relationship with the Father matters. John 1, 1 continues, says, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And what we see from that, why that's important as we walk through this summer is Jesus not only is God, but He has a relationship with the Father. He is in community. He is built to show us Community. Because that's the very nature of the Trinity, is, is that we are together in this. And if we're created in His image, and we are also built for that same thing. He continues, says, All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Because Jesus, again, as we talk about who He is, calls Himself the genesis of all things. The beginning, the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. It says all things were created through Him. In fact, Colossians 1 says this, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. See, when we talk about Jesus, God of the impossible, we say that there is nothing that exists that did not come from His handiwork. He cannot possibly be a created being because all things which were created came through Him because before time ever was, Jesus already was. That's why John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It attributes directly who He is and puts it all together and says, here's the piece of the puzzle that you need. But the problem is, we don't want the piece of the puzzle. We want control of the puzzle. But see, Jesus does not offer that. He does not offer that He could be a creation that created everything else. He only offers that He is in coexistence with the Father and the Spirit. 
because all things through him were made, including us. The third point this morning is this, is that Jesus' example then to us is important. See, God's character is one of intense humility. Intense humility. <clears throat> so we have four interns this summer who are awesome. In fact, today is Hannah Arada's very first day on staff full-time, which is super exciting. And I'll tell you, yeah, why that's more exciting here in a little while. We have four interns, and I, I, I was talking to a, um, a pastoral friend of mine about interns, why we have people, and why that all works, and he goes, well, at least you're not cleaning toilets anymore. And I kind of laughed, and then I thought, well, no, maybe, that's, maybe I should clean toilets because of that. Like, a, a level of, of leadership does not exempt a level of servanthood. And, and so here's, here's what Jesus does. He, as God, eternal in existence before all things, humbles himself and comes down and takes the form of a human, his creation, for the sake of relationship with his creation. And he's mocked for it. And he's beaten. And he's destroyed for it. And that is because God saw it fit for him to be sent down and be crushed at the hand of men for redemption of men. Because if we believe God is the God of the impossible, then we have to trust and know that and be okay with that and then live according to that. And that's where it's hard because, again, we want control of the puzzle, not just to understand our peace in it. But 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So that in Him we may become what He left so that we would have that. Because he came in humility. Second part of that is that God's character shown in this verse is that he is one of redemption and restoration. He's a redeemer. Revelation 1.8 is Jesus speaking. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega who is and was and is to come. The Almighty. See, he, what he does is he takes that that idea of eternity and of time, and he says, I was, I am, and I am to come. I'm not done. All the stuff in this world that hurts, that's hard, Jesus is going to redeem when he comes again. Side note, anybody tells you they know when he comes, when he's coming, they're lying. Let's just put that out there right now, okay? The third part of this is that God values relationship. So we should too. Even to the point of immense sacrifice. As we talked about last week, it's, you're hard-pressed to find anyone who would give their life for anyone. Yet Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, than a man who would lay down his life for his friend. And here's God, the God of the impossible, the Word who is God, who was God, who was with God, who sacrifices everything, every bit of promise that we've been given, all the dreaming that we've done of what heaven will be like, which, by the way, when I think about that, it gives me heart anxiety. Anybody else feel really, really small? 
Jesus gave that up and went through immense sacrifice for our good, for our relationship. And so the question is this, I'm purposefully a little short today because I talked your ear off last week because I got excited. Then what are we to gain from this truth as a church? Like, if, if Jesus is, I'm going to operate in the Lord part of that, okay? I know you're at church. That's probably surprising. I believe he to be Lord. If, if we're going to operate in that truth, then what does that actually mean for us? Especially as we go through the next seven or eight weeks or years. What are we actually understanding? And it's just that Jesus is capable of the impossible. We've baptized 18 people in this church. People who gave up on church. People who said that God was mad at them or hated them. And we saw Jesus do incredible things in them. And that's the start. That's the beginning. Because Jesus is capable of the impossible. But we have to believe that. You have to believe that. If you don't believe it, then you're just going to kind of waltz through life and, and nothing's going to matter. You're going to kind of survive. And if you're just surviving, then my, my, heart and my heart for you is this. Don't just survive because Jesus doesn't call you to survive. Jesus calls you to fullness. And that doesn't mean money and stuff. That means hope and peace and purpose. See, your impossible situation is not impossible to God. It's not. But, but that doesn't mean that God just fixes it. You know, like that doesn't mean that God goes, oh, well, here's your problem. Uh, here's the way you'd like me to operate. I'll just give you all that stuff that you think you need. That's not what he does. In fact, he says, when you have trial and tribulation, take heart, for he has overcome it. It's not that God makes everything easy for you and fixes things. It's that he walks with you so that as you're walking through the pain and the hardship and you're needing to trust something outside of yourself, he will sustain you in it. But we haven't taught that gospel. We've taught a gospel that God just is going to do everything you need because he's God and he's your pigeon that just carries your messages out for you. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus is preeminent to all things. That He is who He says He is. And that He is the God of the impossible. But I'll tell you this much, if you're in an impossible situation or facing one, you've got to give up the piece of the puzzle. You can't control it. Because if you're snatching it away from the, the hand of God, he, he can't do anything with it not without just taking over. But your impossible situation is not impossible to God. Your value does not come from what people would say. Remember, Jesus says, who do you say I am? Not who do people say to you that I am. What else you we to gain from this truth is that you are created with relationship in mind. You cannot do this alone. You can't. If you tried to do it alone, you're probably sitting here going, you're right, I can't do it alone because you know what that's like. And it hurts and it's hard. And there's no lonelier place than in an island that you have put walls up and thrown yourself in the midst of. But, but that's what Jesus came to do is to restore broken relationships. To give hope. And that he, he is the same today as He will be tomorrow and has always been. Because He is the God of the impossible and that can't change. Because if that changes, He's not Jesus. If that changes, like I said, we should just go eat breakfast. 
But he calls us to this impossible thing as well. Listen, we believe, our church believes, our leadership believes that we can change this city, that we can change generations of sin. We, we do. Because God is the God of the impossible. As we go through the next seven or eight weeks, you're going to hear stories about that from Jesus' own mouth because if we don't have that, we have nothing. We believe God can change this city. My goodness, you're in a building that we never thought we'd get. For a fraction of what it should cost. And with college students who are raising their own salaries and working other jobs because they believe and see this. Elders who give up hours and hours and hours of their... In fact, we have an all-staff meeting today. It's like three and a half hours on a Sunday. Beautiful day that I've asked people to come to, and they're coming. We've got people who aren't even on staff coming to help the meeting, to lead some stuff for us. Because we believe that God is a God of the impossible, that these aren't just stories, that He's not a lunatic, He's not a liar, that He is Lord, and that's good enough for all people for anything. No qualifiers, only that you understand and believe that. That's it. Because God calls us to the impossible. So then my question for you and for us is, what are we then to do with this truth? Here's what I'd caution you in. If you believe fully that Jesus is a liar or a lunatic, live fully in that. Live fully in that. Because you can't play this idea where you think God is, is a liar or isn't the whole Bible is not true or like Jesus doesn't really mean that and actually know Jesus. So you might as well just cast it all away or take some time to investigate that and watch the line of Judah show himself as the line of Judah. He's not scared of what he created, guys. Jesus has no fear of science and blogs and atheist book writers because he created all of them too. It's not surprised. Uh, we, we've got to get away from this idea where we as Christians have to be scared of stuff. We don't. Look, God can defend himself. So if you live knowing that he's Lord, I'll ask you then to live in the fullness of that as well. Live in the fullness of that Jesus is exactly who he says he is and take him at his word. Like, what if you did that? Like, genuine, I want you to sit and think about it. What if you actually said, Jesus, you are Lord, you own all things, you care for me, you're steadfast in your love, you haven't forgotten me, you have a plan for me, all I have to do is follow and listen. What if that actually existed? What would change in your life right now? But let that fester and kind of be uncomfortable for you for a minute. If you honestly believe that, what does that change for you right now sitting here? What, do you, what are you forced to believe about who God is? What are you obligated to trust in about who God is and what He says? Because it changes things. It changes the way you live. It changes the way you love, the way you serve, the way you give, the way you treat people, the way you operate at work. It changes all of those things. And that's not to say you won't mess up, right? Like, everybody has a bad day. Right? That's fair. Like, you're allowed to have bad days. But the Lord is the redeemer of that bad day, not you. So I want you to live in the fullness of what you believe He is. What else do we do with this truth? A complete sacrifice, which I kind of just spoke of. But if He is who He says He is, 
then we love, we serve, and we give well for the sake of others. We have to, because that matters more than anything. We live in complete relationship. If, if He is who He says He is, then we should sacrificially be in relationship to each other as well. This is why we talk about marriage being a picture of covenant that God gives Himself for us. Because as a husband or wife should also serve and sacrifice themselves for each other, that is what God does for us and that's what we do for Him. Does that make sense? Y'all follow me? Because you'll fight anybody for the sake of your wife and husband. Let me tell you what, I had a day, I was like 13 years old, it wrecked my world. I, I, I'm sure I spouted off in the mouth something about my mom. And my, I thought like I was in the boys club, you know, like my dad was just going to be like, well, you know, she can be crazy. Um, you know what he did? He looked at me and, and he said something that messed me up and that I've actually used for my son. He looked at me and he said, don't you dare talk about my wife that way. And I was like, I'm your son. He's like, mm, no, because we can get together and make another one of you. Right? Like, that's what Bill Cosby said. He said, he said, listen, we can get rid of you and make one look just like you. Nobody knows the difference. But, but that covenant, that agreement, that community, that life is what Jesus calls us to. It's this complete relationship together. This is why Hebrews 10, the writer says this about the church. He says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So here's what we're going to do. I want to show you a couple things that we're actually going to be accomplishing this month that I want to ask you to be a part of, to give to, to serve in, so that we can actually show that Jesus is the God of the impossible to people who are walking the streets who don't believe it. The first thing is our small groups. I think I have a really fun slide here for it. Right? Coming? It'll be there. Well, oh, it is? Okay, great. There we go. Yeah, that's my friend um, Jill. I don't know. I don't know. This is Jill. Jill's new here. She's looking for community. This is how we're modeling our small groups, our community groups, is that we believe you should be in community because relationship is how God builds us. And so as Jill walks in the church, she's got two options. She can go to an open group, which I think we have six of them launching. Low accountability, go meet people, invest in community, two to three times a month. Um, you come when you can, and it's meant to be evangelistic so you can invite other people. There's not book work. You're not going to do a ton of homework. You're going to walk in, and you're just going to respond to one simple truth that God has. It's pretty fun. It's meant for relationship. It's meant to bring low accountability. If you can make it, you can. And then we'll have our hobby groups. One to three times a month, just based on something that you like to do. If you're like, hey, I want to be around other dudes that love playing golf or other guys that love smoking a cigar or women who um, love something women love. Yeah, there you go. I'm not a woman, so don't hold that against me. Okay? Cooking, going out for a night in the town. That's what my wife likes to do. She likes to hang out. Like, you can do that. 
It's not Bible study. It's literally just community for you to be a part of. Open to anyone, facilitated. It's just a matter of building time with people. And then once you've been in an open group, we, we want you to, to move into something called covenant groups, something that we're doing now. Covenant groups are a lot more structured. They're a lot more intense. They're, they're meant for that community that's been built together. Because, you know, you can't just walk into a really hardcore group with people that you've never met, right? That's a little rough. Like, here are all of my things that I deal with. It's okay. Never going to hang out with them. Never again. You have to build that community. So these are high commitment, intense and personal. And then our goal is that people will then move into, if they want to go into another open group, but move into leading another open group and multiplying the church and growing and letting people who would never come to church come into a home and eat food and just hear one thing about how God loves them. That's it. No pressure, no qualifiers. So we're kicking that off in a couple weeks. The next thing that we're doing, I want you to be a part of. Is it up there? Here we go. Nope. Okay. I'll just tell you. On June 30th, we're having a low country boil. Yeah, we just want to hang out. So bring friends. Come and just eat food and meet people. Because community is everything. And something I'm really excited about. And what I think is going to be a boom to this church, to this community, is Parents Night Out. Yeah. I made that graphic, which is why it looks funny, but here's what that is. We cannot change the scope of the city if we don't serve and love people where they're at. We just can't. Having a building here doesn't bring people in. Not people who need Jesus. So we need people to come and volunteer who are willing to come and hang out with kids for like four hours on one Friday night a month. So June 28th, we're doing that. We're going to have kids all up in here. They're going to have an awesome time. And we're going to ask parents to come, drop off, sign up, because, you know, we'll have half a TR here if we just leave it open. They're going to sign up. They're going to come here. They're going to drop their children off. And we're going to actually give them a pathway to have some fun dates. We're going to work with the city to say, hey, if these people come, can you give them a little extra? Maybe a breadstick or an appetizer or whatever. We're going to give people a little date box that says, hey, here's some things for you and your husband to talk about. To bring that intimacy and that growth back together. Because if we're going to break generations of sin, then we have to begin breaking it by softening the hearts of the people who are in the city. So we're going to serve families that way. We're going to serve single moms who just need a break. Who can come and just just drop their kids off and not worry for three and a half hours. And they can go, get this, have ice cream by themselves. Crazy idea, right? But we need you. Because we're going to do that. We're going to serve. We're going to do it for free. We're going to care for people. And then our third Saturday. It's about to get a big jump because Hannah's here, which is awesome. We already have some incredible opportunities to serve, not just here, but within the community with with groups like Keep TR Beautiful, with the park system, with Gateway Park getting back into that place. But we got to have people to go and serve the city. Let me tell you, part of the reason that we're in this building for what we're in it for is because the city saw what our people were doing at places like Gateway Park, and they said these people care. We cannot stop caring. 
And if you can bring a shovel or a broom or pick up trash, you can be a part of that. It's that easy. And the last thing that we're doing is our resolve to do ministry. I was actually in uh, a meeting today for those who are interested. Or next week with a cookout, we're kicking that off. Because students matter. That's something that's in our guardrails. We say students matter. Kids matter. That's why half of our volunteers are in the kids' ministry right now, because they matter. And they're the future. They're actually the present of our church. And we're excited about what's happening. So if you're interested in being a part of that or leading that, you can stay for five minutes after service and meet Mikey and talk about what the vision God gave him is for our church. The last thing that you can do is you can just help us spread the news. It's so simple. It's it's checking in on Facebook, throwing a picture up on Instagram. It's, It's just talking to people because we want to affect this community because we believe fully that Jesus is the God of the impossible. He is exactly who he says he is, that he can meet in every hard moment and bring change believe that, and if we live like that, then guys, I got news for you. This whole city changes. We don't disqualify people. We allow the gospel to bring them into the family. Because Jesus truly is God of the impossible. Let me pray. Father, you're tremendous in your love and care for us. as we sing this last song Lord I I pray that um, I pray that our desire would be to not just believe that not just hear statements like that but live in that moment where we understand that you are who you say you are God when things aren't easy that you're the same God who delivered your people out of Egypt and Babylon you're the same God who restored Peter after he failed you and denied you. You're the the same God who kept Paul moving with purpose when he was beaten and left for dead. You're the same God who's carried us this far to where we are, who's gotten us through the hardship we've been through, but has never left our side even when we felt like we were alone. You are that God of the impossible. So Jesus, help us to live like that today. Lord, break our hearts for the people of this city, of this county, of this world. God, break them so that we would give you all that we have, that we would love well, that we would serve well, that we would give well, that we would know that you are sustaining us and that you are changing generations and eternities forever. We love you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and you feel closer to Christ than you ever have before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person, or help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified, check us out online at trailside.church, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you again soon.